good morning and uh, welcome to City Legal Livestream. My name is Peter Renge. Uh, the City Legal community exists to uh, uh, share the message of Jesus with silks and, and suits right around the cities of Australia. And uh, we do that by looking at the answers found uh, in the pages of the Bible. Uh, for those who are new amongst us, a special welcome to you. And uh, the format is a brief talk followed by a Q&A. And you can uh, ask questions at any time by using the chat function, which you can find at the base of your screen. You can ask a question generally or of our speaker and you just press enter or return and that question will pop up. Uh, We're incredibly privileged to have speaking for us again today, Dr. Peter Jensen. Uh, Peter was the principal of Moore College and was also the Anglican Archbishop of Sydney. Uh, in a moment, I'll uh, pass over to him. Uh, but, but I believe he's going to begin by reading just uh, one sentence from uh, the second book of the Old Testament, the book of Exodus. And then he's going to read a uh, fascinating um, narrative from the book of Acts, chapter 19, uh, which is the second part of a two-part biography of the life and deeds of Jesus, uh, written by a doctor called Luke. Um, I'm going to share that screen with you so you'll be able to read along, or you'll see in the chat function, I've already posted uh, a link to that if you'd like to follow along. So over to you, Peter. I'll just uh, I'll just have to unmute you, Peter. So just hold on a sec. There we go. Good. Thank you very much, Peter, and thank you for unmuting me. Some people wouldn't. Uh, it, uh, and thank you for your fellowship, everyone, and particularly if uh, anyone is coming from interstate. Uh, we're looking at the Ten Commandments and the Third Commandment. The Third Commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And then a, a story illustrative of matters to do with the name of God, and this comes from the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the name of Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man uh, in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them and mastered all of them and overpowered them. So they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents at Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burnt them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for giving us your word and not leaving us in ignorance and darkness. And we pray that as we sit beneath your word this day, that you will help us to understand it and to apply it deeply into our hearts and lives. For Christ, our Saviour's sake. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, this pithy commandment, uh, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Uh, I want you to think for a moment about names. Uh, 
I was always happy with my first name, Peter, never happy with my second name, Frederick, until I discovered that a great king had been called Frederick, and then that made it okay again. Most of us don't take names all that seriously, but in the ancient world, certainly, until modern times, names were taken with very great seriousness indeed. Uh, there were three aspects to this. First of all, names had meanings. Uh, as you know, the name Peter means rock and goes back to Peter in the New Testament. But your name almost certainly has a meaning of some sort. And although today you give a name, you may consult the meaning, you may not, you may not even be aware of the meaning of your name. Uh, originally, the meaning of the name contained a sort of reality. This is who you are. Your name tells us who you are. The second element to it was access. I remember a friend of mine was pulled over by a policeman once and those ominous words, son, what is your name? Uh, and uh, he told me he had this temptation, of course, to give a false name, even though at a moment or two his, his uh, license would come out. Uh, because a name, when you give someone your name, you're giving them something which belongs to you. You're giving them um, access. I think that's the best word. Access access to power over you what's your name son right i've got you i can find you again i can now speak directly to you if you give me a false name uh, the same power is not there but when you tell me your name you have begun a relationship and often a power relationship but as well as that um names particularly in the ancient world well today as well uh, were regarded as sources of power. So uh, power over, yes, as I've just illustrated, but power from as well as when you go into a place and you say, oh, I know so-and-so, or when you go to a place and you nominate someone high up on the lists and say, well, I, I know him quite well. I, I've got his number in my phone here. Look, I'll show you. And you can see, yeah, so you have the number of the police commissioner there or whatever it is. So a name is access to power. You don't give out your name uh, easily. You certainly don't let people speak in your name easily or uh, use your name easily. And you can imagine how some people can abuse your name easily. And that's the third element as well, because your name is your reputation. Of course it is. Uh, you have a name for something. Your firm has a name. Uh, you broadcast the name, or perhaps you step back in shame because of things that have occurred, and you wish you didn't have that name. And so there's those three elements to the whole idea of names. They showed forth the reality of who you were. They gave access perhaps to power over you, but perhaps of to your power, and they are tied up with reputation. Now, as we think about this commandment this morning, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I'm going to talk about the name of God. I'm going to talk about abusing his name, and then I'm going to give uh, a dessert, shall I say. I'll leave that one till we get there. Okay, so first of all, uh, the name. 
the name of God. Uh, this needs to be put into context. You may remember that earlier in the book of Exodus, uh, Moses encounters the Lord at the burning bush. Uh, Moses asks, what is the name of the Lord? Now, uh, up to that point, we understand that God had revealed himself to people in the Old Testament. And they knew him as the God of our fathers or the God who spoke or something like that. But it seems as though the idea of his, in a sense, personal name was not known. So Moses is asking, what is your name? He needs to say that because when he goes to speak to the people of Israel, they will first of all want to know that it is their God in whose name he speaks, but also that some fresh revelation has occurred uh, because the name would be a revelation of God. And it's at that moment that God speaks and uses, uh, as we translated in English, this sort of enigmatic name, I am who I am. I am has spoken to you. Now, we ought not to read this as... Um, Greek philosophy or something like that. Uh, it is likely or possible, I, I think uh, I prefer the idea that what he's saying here is, I will be who I will be. Um, I am, I am the one who spoke to your fathers. It is I, and I am certainly the sovereign ruler of the world. I am, and I will unfold history in the way in which uh, will be of benefit to the people of Israel. This word is connected to the word Yahweh. Uh, we're not exactly sure. People used to use the word Jehovah, but that was a, a misunderstanding of the word here. Uh, it's really probably the word Yahweh, though even that is not absolutely sure, I understand. At any rate, in the, uh, in the translations of the Bible, and later on as the Jewish people were and remain immensely sensitive about this name of the Lord, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Uh, when the word appears in the uh, Old Testament, uh, it is usually translated Lord with capital letters. Uh, with the Lord has spoken to you. The I am, Yahweh has spoken. And it's wiser not to use the name Yahweh, particularly as we're not absolutely sure of it. What an extraordinary thing, however, we need to notice this. What an extraordinary thing that there was this self-revelation. Uh, we may hesitate to give our name to someone precisely because it gives us power. It gives them some degree of power over us. Here is the Lord God revealing his name. He knows Moses. He knows the name Moses. But what we're seeing here is an extraordinarily intimate self-revelation of God. Uh, a self-revelation, of course, which exposes God to the abuse of his name. It expo exposes him to people uh, trying to gain control over him. And it exposes him more likely uh, to people using his name to gain power. In the context of that ancient world and Canaanite and Egyptian religion, this was well known indeed. Because as we saw in that second reading, uh, where the sons of Sceva saw how powerful the name of Jesus was, they then took the name of Jesus and they used it uh, and were beaten up. Of it. But this was not unusual. 
in a sort of the magical world of that ancient world and indeed of the modern world to find a name of a spirit the name of a god and to be able to summon up that name was in a sense to tap into the power of the god i think what we've got to see here this is unfamiliar to us in a sense precisely because the bible has taught us the truth let that be said uh, this whole idea of the magic of names was very very prevalent indeed i remember reading a list of names from the ancient world a piece of papyri that had been discovered and it had 49 names of gods on it including in the end yahweh and it was clearly uh, that the magician was using every throwing up every name that he could so as to tap into the power the energies of the universe and exploit them against other people so you remember to put the whole idea of the abuse of god's name among other things into that magic world where god's name may be used and how much, how remarkable it is there that god in his mercy and kindness should therefore expose his name to such abuse to moses and then also to the people of israel but he did he also declared his name uh, there's an interesting passage in uh, exodus 34 exodus 34 where the lord declares his name and uh, this time he's not using or or focusing on the i am or i will be who i will be but rather declaring his character this is exodus 34 uh, verses 5 to 7 when the lord came down in the cloud and stood there with them and proclaimed the name of the lord he proclaimed the name of the lord and he passed in front of moses proclaiming well how does he proclaim his name this is what he says the lord the lord yahweh yahweh the compassionate and gracious god slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness rebellion and sin yet he does not leave guilt unpunished and so on so here's a proclamation of the name of the lord which is very much this is my character this is who i am my name reveals my character the first of the three things that i mentioned and so he declared his name the names the power of names secondly the name of the lord and the revelation of the name of the lord now the question of taking the lord's name in vain what does it mean to abuse or as the uh, new new international version translation has it misuse the name of the lord and have you done it are we guilty of this for the lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain well you may remember you may not uh, that uh, in the first of these sessions i indicated that um, uh, the law as it's unfolded uh, in the uh, in the uh, in the biblical sense contains something at its heart you shall love the lord your god with all your heart soul strength and mind you shall love your neighbor as yourself the love commandment 
at the very heart of the law. And all law is to be used and thought of as an exposition of the love command. Love God, love your neighbor. Secondly, the principles of the law as set out here in the, in the Decalogue and the Ten Commandments. Uh, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods but me. Do not, uh, do not take my name in vain. Do not commit murder. Do not bear false witness. The principles of the law. And then surrounding this and surrounding it, not just in what you might call case law, but also in aphorisms, in, um, in, uh, in story, in all sorts of ways, but surrounding it, there's a sort of an exposition of the law as to what it may mean uh, in different circumstances. And what it meant, for example, the law says you shall not kill, but are you allowed to be a soldier? Uh, matters like that come before us as we consider the law in its context of, of the material around it. So what does it mean to abuse the name of the Lord or to take it in vain? Well, uh, one of the earliest uh, points uh, is Leviticus 19.12, uh, where if you use it, when you use the name of the Lord in oaths, make sure you speak the truth. Uh, to use the name of the Lord in an oath uh, is to really call upon him to bear witness. And when you're calling upon the Lord to bear witness to what you're saying, you are saying, then I put myself in the hands of the Lord. If I am not speaking the truth to you, then I am guilty before human beings, yes, but before the living God. It, in a sense, invokes a curse upon us uh, if we do not tell the truth. It is a, the oath sworn in the name of the Lord is very, very solemn indeed. Of course, Jesus challenged this practice by telling us we should not, we do not need oaths. We should speak the truth in any case. Uh, he's going to the heart of the matter there. I don't think he's saying no oaths under any circumstances, but I'm, he's saying you should be the sort of person who needs swear no oath, or you will speak the truth, come what may. Uh, so oaths and the abuse of oaths would be one abuse of the name of the Lord. But of course, there are many others. You could abuse the name of the Lord in magic and the occult by calling upon the name of the Lord to give you power. Uh, and he is a he is not that sort of God. And B, uh, he will not be used in such a way. So the whole idea of magical and occult practices connected to the living God is sort of beaten out of Israel and beaten out of our world in the end uh, through the Bible. Uh, the, <laughs> the evil spirit says, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Even though they were using the name of Jesus. So the abuse of the name of the Lord in magic and occult is uh, forbidden here. But it goes deeper and longer than that. And here you would need to read the whole of uh, scripture it's good to put this into the whole of context. But in the end, and, and uh, reading up for this, uh, someone made an interesting point that I thought was absolutely correct. But in the end, you abuse the name of the Lord through what the New Testament, and particularly Jesus, calls hypocrisy. Uh, to take upon yourself the name of the Lord, to call yourself a Christian, for example, and therefore to have 
your 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 identity uh, to be connected to the identity of Jesus Christ, and then to live in such a way uh, that goes against everything that He taught. To live in a way in which you do not demonstrate the love of God and the love of neighbour is to bring His name into disrepute. To live in that sort of way is hypocrisy. It is a pretense to a reality which you do not have and do not wish to have. It is Pharisaic hypocrisy. And here I think it is not, uh, you may uh, sit there and say this morning, you've never indulged in, indulged in magic, which I hope is true, by the way. There is magic still around, Ouija boards and the rest. We should have nothing to do with this. But you may say to me, well, that, that's never been my problem, and I believe you. But is hypocrisy the problem? Is it that others will curse the name of Jesus because of you or me? And here we're getting closer to the truth, aren't we? Uh, you will know the uh, one of the consequences of the Royal Commission is the way in which our Lord's beloved name has been linked to things which are evil beyond belief. But it's not just such a a sensational thing as that Royal Commission. It is the daily work we do, our integrity, our, uh, our desire to serve others rather than to serve ourselves, uh, the way we have of handling money, our speech itself. And uh, the Bible has a great deal to say about speech. There are a hundred different ways in which your life ought to be showing forth the name of the Lord and not bringing abuse to the name of the Lord. Now, the people of Israel finally brought abuse to the name of the Lord. Uh, Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, uh, says mournfully, uh, and this is a, a key passage, I think, in Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel 36, and, I, and I'm referring, to, first of all, to 16 to, to uh, 21, Ezekiel 36, 16 to 21. And he reports that the people of God in his day had so lived in a way that brought upon them the judgment of God that it actually abused the name of the Lord. And that the nations round about said, well, these are the God worshippers. This is what they have done. And God has punished his own people. And so uh, the name, if you like, the reputation of the Lord was brought into disrepute by the people of God in that generation. And of course, we are capable of doing the same things ourselves. Uh, Ezekiel says, um, and wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name. For it was said of them, these are the Lord's people, yet they had to leave his land. In other words, be punished. And the house of Israel profaned my name among the nations where they had gone. Well, we, or we, we are they, are quite capable of profaning the name of the Lord. And each one of us must search our hearts and our lives to make sure that we do not take the name of the Lord in vain. But I said that there was dessert. There's a chocolate at the end. <laughs> he's, 
let me say to you, by the way, this subject is so vast, it's not possible to do it anything like justice this morning. But one other thing that I mentioned to you, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, normally, I think we take this as a sort of a way of praising God. And indeed, you can praise God by saying we praise the name of the Lord. We mean we praise your, we praise your character. We praise who you are. We praise the reality of the Lord. That, that's fine. But when we say hallowed be your name, you'll notice it's not really a praise. It's a request. And it's a request that the Lord himself clear his reputation, so to speak, which has been, um, uh, yeah, uh, the point I was just making is that in the, in the prayer, hallowed be your name, uh, according to Ezekiel, the Lord intends to hallow his name by saving his people, even though they did not deserve to be saved. And if that sounds familiar, of course it is, because it is exactly what the Lord has done through the Lord Jesus Christ to save his people although we do not deserve it. But although he says, I will not hold him guiltless who takes my name in vain, the truth is that he himself, in his own great power and in his own great mercy, has borne the cost of our guilt and that there is the possibility of repentance and forgiveness, which I trust you have taken, because we will be declared not guilty at the bar of his judgment because he has hallowed his great name. So I'll finish at that point. Uh, let's pray just for a moment. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you will hallow your name, save your people. We pray, Heavenly Father, that uh, your people will be drawn to you by the power of your Holy Spirit, and that you and that all of us will join in the praises of your name. And we pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, Peter's very happy to take questions. So I already see uh, a number of questions pouring in. So if you just go to the chat function at the base of your screen, type in your question, you can uh, write it to everyone or you can select uh, Peter and uh, press enter. So your question will go to him. So I'll actually, I'll start Peter by asking you, should we take oaths in court? Uh, according to the Church of England, the Anglican Church of which I'm a minister, yes, in the 39 Articles of Religion. Okay. Uh, the reasoning behind that is uh, that as the New Testament unfolds, you'll find Paul taking oaths, for example. Uh, and, of course, in the Old Testament, God swears oaths. Uh, it is not, I think, that Jesus is saying, never do this as a, as a ritual or something like this, but rather let your speech be such that there would be no need for this if people know who you are. Now, Christians differ on this, uh, and um, I can understand that people may say, no, uh, we will do affirmation, not oaths. That's fine. But I think uh, we need to go to see what Jesus is doing, which is going to the heart of the matter, uh, and that uh, elsewhere in the New Testament, oaths are taken. Mm -hmm. Okay, there's a couple of questions that have come through on the screen. Can you see them there, Peter? Yes, I can. Uh, one from Stuart. I'm wondering, can everyone see it or should I? Um, uh, everyone can see it, but if you read it again, that'd be good. Okay. Jesus in the New Testament seems rarely to use the Lord name Lord for God, but uses Father much more. 
should anything be drawn from this? Yes. Uh, I think what we're seeing here is a further revelation. Uh, the idea of God as Father is can be found in traces in the Old Testament, but is but is so fundamental to the revelation of God in the New Testament um, that, in a sense, it is a title, not a name, and yet is a title which is a name. If you follow me, uh, so intimate is it. And so, when Jesus, uh, of course refers to God, his father, he is telling us something, first of all, about himself as to who he is as the son of God, but in, in inviting us to also use the name father, he is inviting us into a, uh, into a, a certain type of relationship with God. Now we could talk a great deal more about that. Like, for example, the, the son as an heir and that sort of stuff. But yes, I think it's a, it's a mark of the further great revelation that comes to us through Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, Ian has said, given believers regularly fail, true, <laughs> and so dishonor the Lord's name, yes, is there anything other than seeking forgiveness and trying harder next time to avoid breaching this third commandment? Uh, yes, thanks, Ian. In a sense, no, but that's not it, is it? Um, the uh, powerful gift that the Lord has given us of his Holy Spirit, which uh, this, the, the, the vast gift of Pentecost, where every believer is now endowed with the Holy Spirit, is a life-transforming gift. Yes, we continually, regularly fail, of course we do, that's true. Uh, but there is, and, and furthermore, our failures need to be brought to the Lord and to receive his forgiveness. But the assurance of his forgiveness, given to us by the Holy Spirit, in which God assures us that he, is still, he still loves us and accepts us, uh, becomes, with the work of the Holy Spirit, a powerful impetus. And although you and I, uh, the more you go on as a Christian, the more guilty you feel because you, you begin to understand how guilty you are. In fact, the truth of the matter is, I believe, that if you're going on as the Christian, walking with the Lord, uh, you will, in many ways, clean your act up that there will be progress in the Christian life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's not inevitable. Uh, we, 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 we do lapse and we are conscious of sin, but the power of forgiveness and the power of the Holy Spirit uh, mustn't be underestimated when we think of uh, the transformation of our lives. Uh, uh, they are the only two questions I have. Uh, there's another another question here. How do you respond when people around you uh, use the Lord's name in vain? Uh, yes, by using the Lord's name in vain, we often simply mean uh, uh, swearing, you know, oh, by God and things like that. Um, this, of course, is not the worst that a person can do by any means. It, the worst a person can do is take the name of the Lord and then take the name of the Lord upon themselves and then totally act in ways which are opposed to the Lord. That's, that's really the worst of it. But can you just explain that for a moment? What do you mean by someone taking the name of oh, the Oh, hypocrisy. Okay. Hypocrisy. Uh, I mean, uh, so the casual use of God's name uh, or, uh, you know, to, to use the name of our Lord and so forth and so on uh, is, is wrong. Uh, it's offensive, uh, but it's not the worst of it. I can put it like that. And if someone does that, an unbeliever does that in my presence, uh, I generally don't say anything 
uh, because I think there are deeper issues at stake here. Though it could also be the opportunity, depending on the circumstances, it could be the opportunity to raise the name, uh, to ask why they would do that. Um, uh, the sin of blasphemy, which was also the crime of blasphemy, uh, really the word blasphemy means, really means to defame, uh, to speak ill of. Uh, and that really fundamentally is the crime of uh, speaking out against the living God. Uh, and uh, when that occurs, uh, I try to speak on his behalf. But you can't get unbelievers into heaven by beating them over the head generally. Um, there's one last question. Perhaps we can finish on that. Can you see that on your screen? Uh, from, from, uh, yeah. from Nick, from Nick Aroni. Hello. Uh, did Paul express a kind of oath in places like Galatians 1.20, Romans 9.1 and uh, 2 Corinthians 1.23? Yes, of course, I recognise all those places, he says, lying. Um, uh, thanks, Nick. Uh, well, if, if not in those places, and thank you for mentioning them because we can note them and look, and look them up. Uh, if not in those places, certainly in other places, uh, Paul uh, uses oath-like language uh, without inhibition, um, which leads us that the, the key to biblical interpretation is the Bible interprets the Bible. So we need to look at the teaching of Jesus in the context of the whole and say, well, what Jesus is getting at here is that no Christian man ought to need an oath to speak the truth. We always ought to speak, and no Christian man, no Christian woman, of course, uh, we ought always to speak as though we are on oath. And taking an oath would add nothing to that. Uh, I was only once in the witness box and, uh, and handed the Bible, and I took the oath, though with a little bit of discomfort, and I wondered whether I should have simply taken the affirmation. So it is a question, and Christians differ on this, but uh, that's my answer as far as it's concerned. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Peter. We're just about out of time, and I'm sure you'll join me in thanking Peter for this wonderful series over the last three weeks. Uh, next week, we get to hear uh, David Robertson, the wee flea, uh, speaking on God in the dock. He's going to look at the book of Job and consider the questions of evil and suffering. So it's going to be a fascinating series, same time next week. So thank you so much for being with us, and we'll see you again next week. Bye-bye.